Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Today, we're going to talk about your health and your health insurance. And uh, this is a, a matter that everyone is concerned about because of the rising costs and the continued progress we're making in medicine comes with a price. And so we've invited the president of uh, the president and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield to be with us. That's today, Satan Day. And he is, uh, uh, how long have you been in this job now, uh, doctor? Hey, Don, um, it's great to be here. And thanks for the opportunity to have me on the show today. Uh, I've been with the organization probably about eight months. I started, uh, back in the summer of 2020. Well, obviously, as we, we were joking before the uh, uh, the show began, that you're clearly not from uh, Freeway Verena with a name like that. So give us a little history of how you came to North Carolina. Yes, uh, so I'm, I'm originally from uh, Nigeria and West Africa. Uh, I spent some time in the United Kingdom, uh, in the Caribbean, and then found my way to the United States uh, to do my residency in pediatrics. So I'm a physician by training. And then somewhere, somehow along the way, uh, after practicing for a couple of years, I found myself in managed care on the health insurance, health benefits, uh, part of the delivery system. And I've spent uh, about the last 20 or so years, uh, primarily, on that part of the healthcare delivery system. I um, have read and heard about Blue Cross of North Carolina for many years now. Um, it has a very solid reputation in the healthcare insurance industry and in healthcare as a whole for its people, its innovative culture, and most importantly, its purpose, its mission, which is to improve the health and well being, not just of the individuals we serve, but the communities in which we all live and work. So when the opportunity presented itself, I was like, sign me up. Well, as I understand, approximately 3.7 million North Carolinians are covered by Blue Cross Blue Shield. So that's what about 35% of the total population. So that's quite a responsibility. Well, you know, I guess uh, we would open the program by talking about COVID-19 because we've been talking about it in depth now for about a year. Uh, and clearly, I suspect that this has uh, really had some uh, interesting and uh, twists and turns for Blue Cross Blue Shield. So basically, uh, sort of bring us, first of all, let's talk about uh, uh, how Blue Cross Blue Shield has handled the COVID-19 situation, because uh, I guess prior to last March, we weren't very um, concerned about this uh this matter, and, and it's, uh, of course, been something that we've lived with in great detail for the past year. Yeah, Don, you know, I, there's no question that the last 12 months has been extraordinary, to say the least. Um, this uh, pandemic has been an unprecedented public health crisis, and literally, it's taken a coalition of the willing, right? All of us coming together, um, you know, multiple public-private sector partnerships, you know, supporting the state, supporting our communities, in order to navigate uh, through this pandemic. You know, in the um, very early days and weeks of the pandemic at Blue Cross, you know, our primary, our number one priority was to ensure the health, safety, and welfare of our workforce, but at the same time, 
continue to ensure that we could meet the needs of our consumers, our customers, our healthcare professional provider partners, and then the needs of our communities, the communities in which we all live and work, whose needs, by the way, had manifested even more so as a result of the pandemic. In 2020, we spent about $800 million in providing direct and indirect financial support, again, across our consumers, customers, supporting our healthcare professional, provider partners, and communities at large. We did that through a variety of ways. One was we very quickly expanded access to care for our members through leveraging telehealth and other means. We removed all co-insurance, co-pay, out-of-pocket costs related to the testing, diagnosis, and treatment of COVID and COVID-related illnesses because, Don, we wanted to make sure that cost should not and would not be a barrier to people getting much-needed care. We spent about $200 million in health and wellness cards, which we sent out to over 600,000 of our subscribers so that individuals could purchase much needed grocery items, healthy foods, over the counter uh, medications, and other healthcare related items. Each of those health, health and wellness cards were valued about $100 to $500 on average. In similar fashion, we provided financial support to our healthcare professional uh, partners, um, our provider partners, particularly our independent primary care practitioners who, as you may recall, many were struggling to stay afloat during the pandemic. We also, in similar fashion, provided financial support to our community-based organizations that were in the front lines at the tip of the spare of dealing with food insecurity and other social issues that manifested again, even more so as a result of the pandemic. And then most recently, we have quickly pivoted to supporting the Department of Health and Human Services with the rapid deployment and administration of COVID vaccines with a particular emphasis on addressing vaccine hesitancy, especially in our underserved communities through infomercials, social media platforms, and us business and community leaders stepping up, receiving the vaccine ourselves and demonstrating, you know, the efficacy and the importance of getting these vaccines. And we recently, and I'm extremely proud of this, we just launched the um, Ride United North Carolina Initiative, which is a collaborative with Lyft, the United Way of the Greater Triangle, and a couple of other uh, businesses across the state with the goal of providing 100,000 free rides to individuals that may not have access to transportation across our underserved communities to and from vaccine sites so that they can receive the much needed COVID vaccine. So it's been a journey. We still have a lot of work to do, but I feel good with the actions that we've taken in this regard. We certainly have addressed an awful lot of concerns there. How, has this left you in any kind of uh, financial stress? Uh, how, how will you ultimately pay for all of this? <laughs> 
Well, you know, I, I, I have to, I can't take credit for this uh, because this happened before my time, but I have to say that the organization has been very fiscally prudent uh, over the years. And, you know, our mission and our purpose has always been not just the individuals we serve, but the communities at large. So, you know, the, the uh, organization did a, a fabulously tremendous job in making sure that we had the capital and reserves to be able to take the actions that we've taken. Yes, there's no question that COVID has been a financial strain on all of us, um, all of us, not just the healthcare industry, but across society as a whole. But, um, you know, due to the hard work and the diligence of uh, the team, we were able to make it happen. And like I said, our work hasn't stopped and our work will never stop in that regard. Well, North Carolina uh, apparently uh, reacted quite well as a state because we did not seem to have, and I'm going from press accounts and things of this nature, I, I guess this is more of a question than a statement, but it seemed like we never put as quite as much stress on our hospital system as a number of states. We uh, uh, kept up with uh, the numbers of people who were being treated, but we never got to the point of any kind of a panic or any kind of situation where we felt like we were uh, overtaxing uh, our system. And, and uh, would you comment on that, how North Carolina yeah. did compared to other states? I, I think, uh, you know, I'm not that I'm biased <laughs> or anything, but I, it's fair to say that North Carolina has done a tremendous job. And I think it comes, not, not that I think, I truly believe it comes down to the collaboration that I kind of referenced earlier on. North Carolinians got together very quickly in the early days of the pandemic as a coalition of the willing, as I've often described it, multiple private public sector partnerships, multiple community and business leaders stepping up, working together, the legislative community coming together in a bipartisan manner in order to very quickly address the issues that we were facing, the challenges that we were all facing with respect to the COVID pandemic. So I really think that it wasn't just the healthcare system, but it was all of us coming together across North Carolina that really made it happen. Some of the things that uh, apparently we have learned, uh, the, the mask uh, and other precautions that we took seemed to also have an effect on the ordinary flu and head colds and types yeah. of things like that. We had a, a, a sub, substantial reduction in the number of ordinary flu cases. Is this, a, is this a great lesson for us to learn for the future? Absolutely, Don. There's so many lessons. You know, I truly believe that if we learn from the lessons, uh, similar to what you described, that we faced during this pandemic, that it will actually make us healthier and stronger on the other side of the pandemic. But you're absolutely correct. You know, the three W's, you know, wear your mask or face covering, you know, uh, wash your hands, wait six feet and so on is not new. These are, you know, public health standards that have been in place for years, for decades. But, you know, unfortunately, I think, you know, many of us, myself included, lost our way. You know, we would have the flu and many of us would still get on airplanes, right? We will still go into the offices and then guess what? You know, you are spreading the virus. So I think we've learned, we've, we've learned 
not just lessons, but you know, things that we have forgotten from the past. And I think again, you know, if we stay true to those lessons, I would expect that flu seasons in the future would be less severe than they have been in the past. Are you happy with the uh, progress we're making on the vaccinations? Do you feel like we're on target and on schedule? Oh yes, we're making tremendous progress. Tremendous progress. I mean, it was a learning curve for all of us. Like I said earlier on, this has been unprecedented, uncharted territory for us in healthcare, not even to talk about society as a whole. Uh, but we've made tremendous progress. We're on target. And, and I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm very bullish that as we get into the summer months, you know, that we will find ourselves in, in uh, a, a good place, you know, where, you know, we can start to get back to, you know, some level of normalcy. Um, it's going to be a different world. I, I don't think we should be naive to the point we just made. We should take the lessons learned and do things better. But I do believe that... Uh, we will, you know, um, again, as we get into summer months, you know, find ourselves in a place where, you know, things are getting back to some level of normalcy. Tunde Sutunde is our guest. He's the president and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield. And we'll be back in the next segment. We're going to talk about things uh, on a little longer range. Uh, we'll talk about the Affordable Care Act, what's working and what's not working and what needs to be changed to make it more effective. We'll do that when we continue with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers, and we're talking about health and health insurance. We're talking to the man who heads the company that provides health insurance for uh, about 35% of the population of the state of North Carolina. That would be Dr. Tunde uh, Sutunde, and uh, uh, he has uh, uh, been very kind to share his time and efforts with us, and we certainly appreciated that first segment where we talked about the COVID-19 situation. I want to talk a little bit uh, this time, doctor, as we get to uh, looking at a little longer-range situation. We've had uh, Obamacare or the Affordable Health Care uh, Act now for some period of time. 
there have been a number of adjustments in it. Um, it uh, a lot of the folks that were fearing things that were going to happen, some of those things happened, some of those didn't happen. So how about giving us a sort of an overall view from the point of view of uh, the provider of health care insurance for our citizens in North Carolina, what's working with the Affordable Care Act, and, and then we'll turn to what's not working and what might need some changes. So let's first talk about what's working. Yeah, Don. So let me say it this way. The fact of the matter is irrespective of which side of the aisle one sits on, the Affordable Care Act today in the state of North Carolina is providing reasonably affordable healthcare coverage to over half a million North Carolinians who may otherwise not have had access to healthcare coverage, which then in turn means they wouldn't have had equitable access to quality affordable healthcare. Is any system perfect? Absolutely not. Is the Affordable Care Act perfect? No, it's not. But providing reasonably affordable healthcare coverage is foundational. That is a starting point. Once you do that, you can then address affordability or ways in which to make that coverage more affordable. So for example, at North Carolina, Blue Cross has over the last three years, consecutively, year over year, reduced premiums in the affordable care marketplace on average 1% year over year in order to make the coverage more affordable. We've also, now that we have individuals covered, have found ways in which we can improve the quality of care they're receiving and not just the quality of care they're receiving, but the healthcare outcomes. Then we are now finding ways to make it simpler and easier to navigate through the system, to make the care better, simpler and affordable. So Don, I would contend that the starting point has to be providing healthcare coverage, that's foundational. Then you can then begin to work on how you push the care further, not just in ensuring equitable access to quality, affordable care, but making it better, making it simpler and more affordable. And we've, we've proven that with the ACA. We're not done by any stretch, but I do believe that we're already on that journey. And like I said, we are not just seeing, but we are proving that conceptually, you can put a program like this in place and you can continue to see improvements that strengthen the program and drive better outcomes, which is really the most important thing for North Carolinians. We hear a lot of talk about the expansion of Medicaid. North Carolina is one of those states that is elected not to participate. I think there are about 10, 11 states that are not participating. Uh, uh, there have been some additional changes. 
Uh, what's your position and what's the position of uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield on the expansion of Medicaid? Yeah, Don, so let me start off by saying that, um, you know, as a matter of principle, at Blue Cross of North Carolina, we support and advocate for avenues, approaches, vehicles to provide for equitable access to quality, affordable healthcare for most, if not all, North Carolinians. And as I said earlier on, we believe that healthcare coverage is foundational in that regard. Medicaid expansion, like you mentioned, in many states that have expanded Medicaid has proven to be a vehicle, a tax efficient use of dollars or taxpayer dollars to provide healthcare coverage for hundreds of thousands, millions actually, across the state, I mean, across the country. So similarly, within the state of North Carolina, there's no reason for us to believe that Medicaid expansion could not be one of those vehicles to provide healthcare coverage for hundreds of thousands of North Carolinians that today do not have access to healthcare coverage or are uninsured. So we stand ready to work with stakeholders across the board, coalition of the willing, again, providers, community-based organizations, the state, the legislature, and so on, to come up with a bipartisan, fiscally responsible approach to expanding Medicaid here in the state of North Carolina. It's going to be interesting to watch that as, uh, as the General Assembly meets, and I'm sure this is going to be a topic that's well discussed there because uh, it, it, uh, as it, it, it would appear to me that they're making it even more attractive, so that's going to be difficult for uh, the General Assembly to uh, come to uh, recognize uh, what uh, might be good for North Carolina, and uh, they've got a the General Assembly generally has done just a great job of looking after North Carolina, so we have no reason to think they're not going to do the best thing that they feel like will benefit the citizens of North Carolina the best. So we'll just watch that. So let's get back to the affordable health care. If you had a wish list of things that you would like to see done or put into, into this so-called Affordable Health Care Act or legislation that would change the situation, what are some of the things that you'd like to see happen or added or changed? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Don. And I think, um, you know, um, if you um, take a look at uh, the provisions, some of the provisions within the American uh, Rescue Plan that was um, recently signed into law um, a couple of weeks ago, I do think that it addresses, you know, some of, you know, the areas of opportunity, um, you know, one is always affordability. It, it, that's that's been one of the biggest challenges uh, for all of us, you know, in terms of driving affordability or making healthcare more affordable. And you know, within 
that the um, rescue plan, uh, some of the provisions that uh, will address that, if implemented, you know, properly um, or correctly, are the following: the expansion or extension of tax credits, uh, premium subsidies, and cost-sharing reductions, uh, which should and will make healthcare not just more affordable for those that have the ACA coverage today, but will make the ACA more affordable for those that are uninsured today. So it's going to, again, if enacted or if implemented the right way, reduce the cost of coverage, reduce the cost of accessing care for those that have it today, and then, you know, be a part of the solution in terms of addressing, you know, uh, or providing um, coverage for the uninsured. So that's, that's a huge one. You know, the other that I would say is, and we're already making progress in this regard, is improving the quality of the care that's being received. And one of the key avenues for doing that is access to data, analytics, and information that allows us to be able to identify patterns of care, that allows us for our systems in healthcare to be able to speak to each other so that we can identify opportunities, even proactively, for example, of individuals that may be at risk for certain conditions, or even identify what are the opportunities for us to do things faster, better, cheaper. So having interoperability standards, you know, built into um, these systems of care that we're providing healthcare coverage through, whether it's the ACA, whether it's Medicaid expand, you know, whether it's core Medicaid, Medicaid expansion, whatever, I think is gonna be critically important in helping to drive towards improving care and outcomes. So I would say affordability and improving the quality of care um, and access to information to do that, I think is, is gonna be critically important. One of the things that we've uh, all observed for the last, I guess, 15 or so years is the uh, fact that the emergency rooms have become actually in many cases a clinic are we making any progress uh, in uh, in diverting those patients who are coming in with minor situations, they're going to emergency rooms? Are we making any progress in turning those to neighborhood pharmacies and things of this nature? Yeah, absolutely, Don. I mean, I, I think, you know, we've made a lot of progress in, in that regard. So again, which going back to what I said earlier on, providing access to healthcare coverage is foundational, right? Um, to the most part, you find that most of the folks ending up in emergency rooms for non-urgent conditions tend to be uninsured or don't, don't have access to healthcare coverage. So again, you know, all roads, you know, if you took a step back, all roads lead to providing equitable access to healthcare coverage. So that, again, is foundational, right? And we're making progress in that regard. So that's oh. one. My dad was a pharmacist, and I've always felt like the neighborhood pharmacist was always underutilized because they're quite knowledgeable and well-trained. Exactly. So 
Number two is what, what, what you just said. We, we have to, and we have acknowledged, there's just not enough primary care providers, right? Uh, or, or healthcare professionals anywhere, period. Especially when you're talking about the more rural parts of our state, right? Then things even really get dire. So that's where, you know, allowing professionals to practice at the highest level of their licensure, like you said, nurse practitioners, nurse extenders, um, pharmacists, and so on, you know, the retail clinics, the urgent care uh, centers, and so on, that provides broader access to care, leveraging telehealth, which is another lesson we've learned through this COVID pandemic. Again, is another avenue that allows us to broaden access to care. So providing coverage, broadening access to care, I truly believe are critical in helping to address and ensuring people are getting the right care in the right place at the right time. Our guest is uh, Dr. Tunde Satunda. I knew I'd blow it sooner or later. <laughs> and we'll be back with, uh, he's of course, president and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield. And we will be back with another segment right after these messages. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. I know you won't because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Today, we're talking about health care with Dr. Tunde Sutunde. And uh, I think I did it pretty good that time. Uh, the, uh, he, of course, is president and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield that provides health care coverage to about 35% of all the citizens of the state of North Carolina. We, in the Segment number one, we talked about the COVID-19 situation. We talked about affordable health care and legislation in the second one. Today, we want to talk about the rising cost of health care, the rising cost of pres pre uh, prescription drug prices, and so forth. And, of course, the fact that people are living longer, and that also stresses the uh, financial burden of taking care of everyone. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, health care progress is is great uh, but it has to be paid for and uh, when we make advances that extend people's lives we tax the system um, are we at a point where we can begin to look at uh, 
how we balance that off uh, between uh, progress and affordability? Yeah, Don. So, you know, um, there is no question that uh, healthcare in the United States is too damn expensive. And um, when you compare what we spend in the United States per capita on healthcare to what other industrialized nations spend, we spend about two to three times more than they do. And it gets even worse because the life expectancy, you just mentioned prolonging life, the life expectancy in the United States is much lower than in those other countries. So what that tells us is that we pay more for healthcare, but we get less in terms of value and outcomes. Now, the reasons for healthcare costs and the escalation or continued escalation in healthcare costs are multifactorial. We could spend all day <laughs> talking about, you know, why it's this way in the United States. Everything from the pricing structure for medical services and pharmaceutical services, pharmacy drugs and so on, to how we pay for those services, the lack of transparency with respect to what is the true cost of those services and why do we have so much variability for the same service? Not even variability state by state, but even within the same state, in the same county, in the same region, in the same locality. Why is there so much variability? And then of course, the disconnect or the misalignment between how we pay based on typically pay for volume and then as opposed to paying for value and outcomes. And then of course, as we all know, the fraud, waste and abuse that exists across the system as a whole. So then the, the question is, how do we solve for this? And are we making progress in that regard? I would say we're making progress. We're it finally, and I've been, like I said, doing this for about 20 years now, it finally feels like we're finally, the ship is finally beginning to turn the corner. Why? I'll say it's for the following reasons. One is we've come to the realization that how you engage the consumer, notice I didn't say patient. We don't wanna wait until individuals become patients. How you engage the consumer is critically important in, in addressing affordability. Doing so in such a manner that you're addressing not just the physical, but mental, emotional, and social drivers of health. So what we often describe as a whole person approach to healthcare. But doing so in such a manner that places that individual at the center of healthcare decision-making. Don, how, when, and where do you want to access care? How, when, and where do you want to interact with us as a payer or the rest of us in the healthcare ecosystem? And what information, decision support tools, 
transparency tools are we placing in your fingertips in real time so that you can make informed healthcare purchasing decisions? At Blue Cross, we, we were one of the first insurers, as an example, to roll out an online tool that allowed consumers to comparison shop for hundreds of procedures, services, and so on by provider, by location, so that they could make informed purchasing decisions. So consumer engagement is one. The second is provider engagement. We have a disconnect done today in our system, healthcare system, where we traditionally, to the most part, reimburse providers for volume as opposed to value and outcomes. I would contend that if you pay anybody for volume, you're more likely to get more volume. If you, however, pay for value and outcomes, you stand a better chance of getting more value for your healthcare dollar and better outcomes. We at Blue Cross of North Carolina have a couple of years ago started rapidly shifting away from that old style fee for service system where you pay for volume to reimbursing providers for value and outcomes. And we're rapidly accelerating on that journey. Third is us as payers. The role we play in not just ad addressing medical costs, but administrative costs, leveraging data information analytics so that we can identify patterns of care, who's most likely to be high risk for whatever condition and then intervene proactively, leveraging technology, machine learning, artificial intelligence, all those tools that are being deployed in other industries to do things faster, better, cheaper, to identify instances of fraud, waste and abuse extracted out of the system. So consumer engagement and how we engage the consumer, provider engagement, how we engage the provider, and then the role we payers play is critically important in addressing the affordability um, crisis. And finally, we all don't have a role of society to play in advocating all of us for common sense healthcare policies, regulations, legislation, and so on that drive towards one, providing equitable access to care. An example we talked about earlier was the Affordable Care Act, as an example. Policies that drive towards improving the quality of care, how that's delivered and how that's received. And that's where leveraging data, information, analytics, interoperability standards that allow our systems in healthcare to speak to each other, no different than occurs in the financial services sector, done where you and I, we, we have our financial information at our fingertips, but we don't have our healthcare at our fingertips, that's a travesty in my mind. And then policies that drive towards making healthcare more affordable in the entirety that address, you mentioned drug pricing, there needs to be drug pricing reform. There's no question about that in my mind, that align incentives to drive towards value and outcomes in terms of how we pay for services transparency around what the cost of those services are. So all of us, we, we can't do that alone. 
in healthcare. All of us as a society have a role to play in that. I know that you are constantly uh, concerned about prescription drug prices and you negotiate, I'm sure, with drug companies all the time. I have a friend who has been taking a maintenance drug for 20 years, uh, uh, almost, it's uh, or 15 years, anyway. It's a drug that, of course, was developed a number of years ago. The interesting thing he told me the other day was at one time he was paying 50 cents a pill, and now he's paying nearly three and a half, at $3.50 a pill. Now, this is a drug that's been around for 15 years. How can the drug companies justify raising the price of that drug? I mean, that, that's that, okay. I mean, the problem. They've got him because he's got to have it. It's yeah. a maintenance drug. In, in there lies the problem. There's no transparency. Well, I guess that's going to take some sort of federal legislation to look yeah. into that sort of thing, because that, that, that just doesn't seem right to me that a drug that's been around for 15 years would go up in price that much. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and I know that you guys are concerned about it because you're the ones paying the bills and passing it on to the consumer. Uh, uh, preventive health care, of course, is also an important part because if people uh, take better care of themselves, then health costs is going to come down somewhat. Absolutely, which is, again, why I use the term, how we engage the consumer. You know, you know this, Don, because um, you've lived in this world. You know, if, if you're engaging the, the patient, <laughs> that's not after the fact because now they're a patient. You got to engage, you know, proactively. And that's where preventive health care and, and again, I was stress, not just physical, but addressing mental, emotional, and the social drivers, you know, those social, economic, and environmental factors that impact one's health. Well, we all were taught some things when we were, especially in my age group, uh, I, I can remember that uh, people would look at little babies and say, what a healthy, fat little baby that is. I mean, weight was considered healthy, and of course, we've, it's turned out that health weight yeah. was not necessarily healthy. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And of course, our diets and things of this nature, we were taught to, to eat some things that uh, uh, are not necessarily good for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess all of that goes into education. And as you said, uh, uh, getting these points across to uh, multi-generations. Yeah, it's it's all about preventive health. You, you, you nailed it. You know, it's, you know, proper diet and nutrition, you know, activity. Uh, physical activity, you know, again, you know, I, I would, you know, um, underscore or stress the importance of, of mental health, you know, and, you know, taking, you know, the time to take care of oneself in the true sense of the word. I mean, all those things are critical. And then, like you mentioned, you know, uh, health literacy, you know, around, um, you know, the, uh, the, the effects of, uh, not just obesity, but you know, uh, smoking uh, cessation and and the importance of those programs in that regard, you know, and, and just you know many other you know factors that exist, you know, again socially and environmentally that can impact one's health. So that's really where we need to spend a lot of time. We, we've and that's one of the reasons, you know, frankly speaking, and, and you know, as I said earlier on. I spent time overseas. I, I did most of my training actually overseas, and um, you know, there's a greater emphasis 
on, on health in the true sense, not healthcare, health in the true sense of the word. And I believe that's one of the uh, primary reasons why healthcare is cheaper uh, overall in those countries. Well, it's a, it's a complicated picture. And as you said, there's many pieces to the puzzle and putting them all together uh, can uh, uh, all uh, directly affect the, the amount of money that we spend on our health care and also become healthier. So, uh, well, at any rate, uh, thank you so much for talking about that uh, cost of health care and the rising cost and what uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield is doing. Uh, we've got one final segment and we're going to talk about uh, challenges for insurers like Blue Cross Blue Shield and uh, federal and state legislation to watch uh, in the coming months and things of this nature. And we'll do that when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Dr. Tunde Sutunde, President and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. We'll be back right after these messages. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we've been talking about health and health insurance, and we have had as our guest, Dr. Tunde Sutunde, who is the president and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. Uh, the first segment, we talked about COVID-19 and its effects on not only Blue Cross Blue Shield, but on the state of North Carolina and how we've handled it. And we uh, talked about the affordable health care issues and uh, what needs to be changed there. And then we talked about the cost of health care in the last segment. Um, this program, of course, is heard in uh, two different segments. A number of the stations carry the full hour. Others carry only a half-hour version. So if you missed uh, those two segments on those half-hour stations, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and pick up those two segments. Uh, as well as uh, a broadcast of the entire program, if you'd like to share it with a friend. Well, um, Dr. Sedunde, uh, again, thank you so much for sp spending so much time with us and talking about it. Uh, clearly, uh, our citizens in North Carolina are very concerned about uh, their health care and uh, all the problems that are related to it. You know, North Carolina, I guess, is, uh, is a rather unique state. This probably 
presents a lot of problems for Blue Cross Blue Shield. We have the major metropolitan areas where we have some outstanding hospitals, uh, the Triangle area with uh, three major facilities, Charlotte, Greensboro, Asheville, um, Greenville. Um, but then we have so much of the state that is uh, uh, probably tremendously underserved, uh, some of the smaller counties in the Northeast, uh, the extreme West and so forth. What kind of problems does that create uh, for us in providing health care? Yeah, Don, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it creates challenges with, you know, primarily access to care in the manner you just described. And, um, you know, access to care, and let me rephrase that, equitable access to care uh, has always been one of the challenges that we faced um, in, in health insurance and, and continue to face, you know, in that regard. I will say, though, that as time has elapsed, um, there's been a, a, a couple of um, uh, enhancements or, or improvements along the way that have allowed us to not 100% solve, but at least to improve, you know, the access within the healthcare delivery system. So a couple of examples that I would highlight or underscore are the following. You know, one is, you know, with respect to um, providing and supporting, and, and we've done this at Blue Cross from an organizational and also from a, uh, leveraging our foundation, which is a separate 501c3 um, entity to expand uh, access to rural care through rural health clinics, right? So that has been, you know, one avenue. The other, obviously, within the healthcare system has been to, you know, continuously advocate for um, healthcare practitioners to be able to practice at the highest levels of their licensure. So for example, advanced nurse practitioners, you know, um, uh, uh, health uh, uh, education, uh, improving the health education workforce that exists within our rural communities. We've actually um, provided scholarships, you know, to community colleges, you know, in that regard to help, you know, increase the output of uh, such individuals. You know, we've also, you know, most recently, and I, I will have to confess, it was accelerated by this COVID pandemic we're all dealing with, expanded access to telehealth, right? So that individuals uh, across the state, wherever they may reside, right? Wherever they may work or live, could now access care, not just to primary care, but also to specialty care. So these tertiary centers, the UNCs, the Dukes, you know, the academic medical centers that you reference, you know, that are primarily in our major cities. Now, individuals in rural parts, you know, of the state can now access specialty care, you know, leveraging telehealth. Broadband access, is, you know, continues to be a challenge, but I know that, you know, we've made a lot of strides, you know, in, in, that, um, in that regard. Um, and then, you know, I, I would say that, um, you know, we've also, and, and I think this is has where the coalition of, of, of the willing, um, you know, comes into play. I think as an industry with respect to um, certificate of need and, you know, 
reforms that we've all talked about, you know, within that process. I think that is also another opportunity that presents itself or could present itself for us, you know, very surgically, let me use that term, and very thoughtfully identifying what are these opportunities, you know, within rural areas, but not just our rural areas, across our state to provide for those services that today are significantly lacking or might be available, but are extremely expensive because, you know, there's a monopoly on those services. So there's not one single answer um, to that, uh, you know, dilemma that we face, but I do feel that we do have some levers and we are pulling on those levers and need to continue to accelerate the work in that regard. So what are the uh, biggest challenges for insurers like Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, in the short term and long term? That's a great question. I would say, let me start off with the long term. Um, providing for equitable access to affordable quality healthcare, to which healthcare coverage is foundational, to me is, has been and will continue to be a challenge in the foreseeable future. And not only that, pushing healthcare further to be better, simpler, easier to navigate, because as we all know, even for I as a healthcare professional, as a patient, having to navigate through the system is, is, uh, is mind-boggling. <laughs> Let me just put it that way, right? And then more affordable. So better, simpler, and more affordable healthcare. I think will continue to be a long-term challenge, but opportunity. I like to think about it in terms of opportunity for us. In the more near to medium term, I would say it comes down to the following. One is the COVID pandemic. None of us has a crystal ball to be able to, with any level of certainty, determine what the short, medium, and long-term impact of the pandemic is going to be, not just on the health of our economy, but the health of all of us, right? All of us, our physical health, our mental health, emotional health, and so on. So that's one. Two is we have a new administration up in DC. So what that is going to mean, or what could come down the pike with respect to legislation, uh, regulation, healthcare policies, or policies that could impact healthcare as a whole is yet to be seen and, and will play out over time. And then the third that I would say is the uh, competitiveness uh, of, of, our, of the healthcare environment. It's become super hyper-competitive, uh, to say the least. We have, um, you know, not just the traditional competitors, you know, insurers, uh, so to speak, but we also, you know, now have a lot of provider consolidation, health plan consolidation going on and everything in between. You know, we have a lot of um, private equity firms now coming into the healthcare space, buying up healthcare assets, you know, startups and so on, um, you know, and um, we have what I've often described as disruptors. You know, we talked about you know, uh, pharmacy costs. So uh, Amazon, as you might recall, 
purchased PillPack, so they're now, you know, in that line of business. Walmart is now selling Medicare insurance. So uh, the, the landscape is rapidly evolving as we speak. Well, it's a it's an ever changing situation, and I guess uh, uh, if we go back even five years ago or ten years ago and look at uh, the questions we might have uh, been talking about on the same program, some of those issues have been settled and some yet remain. So, uh, is there any particular federal or state legislation that we should be watching uh, for this year as consumers? Absolutely. So, let me start off. Uh, on the federal side uh, of the house. So, you know, big one is the American Rescue Plan that uh, was recently passed uh, and signed into law a couple of weeks ago uh, as the most, you know, recent uh, COVID relief package. I think it's to the tune of $1.9 trillion or, or something of that nature. But um, like I've referenced in, in a prior segment, it has provisions that should um, expand or extend healthcare coverage. So one is with respect to the, you know, expansion or extension of uh, tax credits, premium subsidies, cost sharing reductions to make healthcare more affordable within the uh, ACA, individual under 65 marketplace. That's one. Uh, there are also provisions that extend, that actually provide for 100% coverage of COBRA premiums, I believe it's through September, if I recall, so that individuals who unfortunately might lose their jobs still have access to healthcare coverage. There are provisions that will increase the federal match by about five percentage points for states that have not today expanded Medicaid, and North Carolina is one of that of those states, to make it more appealing for such states to expand Medicaid and offset the costs uh, to doing so. And then there are provisions that strengthen our safety net programs. Women's Infant and Children, the WIC, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, the uh, SNAP programs, and then many other programs that you know, even more so have become increasingly important to meet the needs of our individuals and, and communities out there that have manifested even more so as a result of the pandemic. So that's one. The other is around CON. I mentioned uh, certificate of need. We are all for CON reform, not full repeal, but I think that's an avenue to provide, you know, uh, for uh, access to care. And then surprise billing is another one. And I think that's one that we need to address, you know, as, as a health insurance industry. We certainly appreciate you taking time to be with us. Our time is uh, rapidly coming to conclusion. Dr. Tunde Satunde, President and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear it. Jason Kong has produced our program and he'll have another guest for us next week on the same group of stations. Have a good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong 
Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.